Good morning, guys. How are y'all? My name is Nick, and I am the the lead pastor here. Happy to bring God's word to you uh, week in and week out. It's a great privilege, a great blessing. With that, I will get us into God's word. If you need a Bible, bring pictures. That's true. That's true. If we can, if we can do online giving, we can do pictures and face. We can do FaceTime. This is the 21st century. <laughs> Technology. I mean, it brings my little boy right here, huh? That's true. I should do. Yeah, it's pretty. He's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll get one to you. We're in Luke's Gospel, um, chapter five. Verses 27 to 32 is where we're going to be. If um, you're new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then comes Luke's Gospel. Chapter 5, verse 27, and we'll read down to verse 32. It's a great story. It's our second week on this text. I'll do my best to kind of get us back into it. But let me read it, and then we'll, we'll pray. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray, guys. God, we stand amazed yet again that our own unworthiness, our own sin, all the things we're ashamed of, don't disqualify us from your table. It's actually those very things that qualify us. For You've come not for the self-righteous, the people that think they're all great and have it all together. Everything's shiny and perfect. You've come for the sinner. You've come for the sick. Those are the people that sit at your table and find healing. God, thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you that even today we will get to sit uh, at your table, so to speak, as we partake of communion together and remember your body broken, your blood shed. We have fellowship with the living God through the death and resurrection of his living son. I ask you, God, to guide every word that I speak today. I ask you, God, to meet with us in a powerful way. I was praying with the guys earlier just... Lord, there are certain intangibles to ministry, 
certain intangibles, certain things that I can't conjure up. And one of those is your presence. You can give a good Bible study and it just goes in one ear and out the other. And then you can give that same Bible study and it pierces hearts. And the only difference is the Spirit of God took the words and drove them in. Opened eyes, opened hearts. And so I'm praying today, God, would you do that in our midst? Everyone that's here, I pray there'd be some takeaway. Even though we're focusing in on one subject, God, would you multiply this bread and feed 5,000? Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, Okay, let me ask you a question just to get us into this here. Who here is interested in the mission of God? Who here is interested in advancing uh, the kingdom of God in this world? It's rhetorical, but I imagine most of us. Most all of us. I imagine any of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The, the, the natural kind of outflow of that sort of enjoyment of God is a desire, a passion to see others come to enjoy Him as well. His grace as well. We want to evangelize people into saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to disciple people into deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to uh, do our part in the Great Commission. You know, being used by Him to reach neighbor and nation. But if I'm not mistaken, a lot of times we have this passion for something, but we have no idea how to, how, to, how to get it started. We have no idea how to translate that into my day-to-day life. There are times, um, it, I think if we're honest, where the Great Commission might feel or seem like a great confusion. In other words, I don't know where to begin. Where do I go? What do I say when I get there? What do I do when I get there? What does it mean to advance the mission? How can someone like me play a part? I don't know how familiar you are with the literature on the subject, but it's endless. It's just book after book after book written on mission strategy and, and all these sorts of things. And, and it, someone standing on the outside might look and go, Gosh, if there's been thousands upon thousands of books written on this subject, how in the world am I even going to get a, you know, my little brain going to get a hold of any of this? I'll just kind of sit this one out. I wish I could advance the kingdom. I wish I could partake in the Great Commission, but I'll kind of sit this one back and leave it to the professionals. I'll give the church my money. I'll give the missionaries my money. That will have to be enough because I have no idea. Where to start? I wonder if you feel this way. Um, If you've ever felt this way before, if you feel this way this morning even. Because the the crazy thing, the great thing, is that, that our text this morning, whether you see it initially or not, actually provides us with a surprising way forward in the matter. The text provides us with a surprising way forward how just average, simple individuals can, can take part in the great commission of God. Is anyone here like 
bacon and eggs, pancakes in the morning. That's me. Does anyone here like a nice, juicy steak or burger? Or if, you know, I'll throw in one for the health conscious. A nice salad, lots of greens and vegetables for dinner in the evening. Yes. Well, here's what I'm seeing in our text. If you eat food and you love Jesus, then you can participate profoundly in the mission of God. Advancing his kingdom. I'll say it again. If you love food, you eat food, and you love Jesus, you can participate profoundly in the mission of God. For in our text, it's by way of the table, the dinner table, the banquet table, that the kingdom of God is advancing. It is in the sharing of bread, fish, and wine that the extravagant grace of God is revealed and received by sinners. It's the old dusty table that everybody has, and I wonder if we're using it for this. At the center of our text is a meal that Jesus shares with some of the outcasts of his day. Tax collectors and sinners. Verse 29, center of our text. Our text kind of pivots on this meal. The call of Levi in verse 28 uh, climaxes in the celebration of this meal and the conflict with the Pharisees and their scribes in verses 30 through 32 revolve around this meal and what Jesus is doing at this table with these kind of guys. But it's food, it's the table that's situated at the center of our text. Now, As a way of review, just for a moment, last week we came at this meal from Christ's perspective. If you remember that, some of you might not have been here. So real quickly, let me show you what I mean. But we looked at what I called Christ's table strategy. How he, in his missionary endeavor to reach uh, sinners, used the table. He used the table to reveal his redemption to us. He uses the table as a part of his missionary strategy. Now, I wonder if if you remember the string of texts given to us by Tim Chester in his book, which I cannot uh, recommend highly enough, Meals with Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. But there are three texts Tim Chester gives us, um, and it's, it's, it's all about the Son of Man and why the Son of Man came. Now, listen to these again. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. We know that one. Mark 10, 45. Die on that cross for me. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know that one. Luke 19, 10. But I wonder if you know this one. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. In other words, what we saw last time, eating and drinking with sinners is actually vital to Jesus' mission to seek and save and ransom them. It's around the table that he's going to get a hold of their hearts and put them back together. It's around the table that he's he's going to reveal his redemption to them. 
So what the Son of Man has come to do, ransom, seek, and save the lost, starts to take place because he's eating and drinking with them. This is what we see with Levi in our text. The traitor, the unclean, the cheat. Tax collectors were loathed, despised. We saw that last week. And rightfully so in many ways. The traitor, the unclean, the thief, the cheat is in our text made a friend around the table as Jesus shares a meal with him. And Jesus is going to use the table time and time again in Luke's gospel. We'll just watch it again and again. The son of man came eating and drinking. And that's his main mission strategy for getting a hold of, of sinful people. And bringing his redemption to them. But now, this week, we're ready to shift our focus. We've seen how Christ uses the table to reach Levi and sinners like me. But now we're ready to look at how we can use the table to reach others. We're, we're in a sense, ready to look at this meal in verse 29 from Levi's perspective. Because Levi kind of leads the way forward for us in this. What we're going to do this morning, therefore, is look first at kind of Levi's table strategy, if you will, how he uses the table to advance the mission of God. And then we're going to get into a discussion, a a much longer discussion on how we can use it, how we're using it. I never would have thought, you guys, this is what's so great about uh, preaching through the Bible, verse by verse. I never would have thought. In my wildest dreams, I'd be preaching two sermons on eating dinner <laughs> around a table. But, you know, as you, as you read and you look, you no way. I mean, I just overlook this sort of stuff as far as the mission of God goes. The dinner table? I'm looking for strategies and programs and events and big things. And Jesus is using a table and Levi's using a table. Okay, two Sundays on eating dinner and the mission of God. It's amazing. Love it. So if this seems mundane to you, sorry, but it's amazing. So first, I want to show you Levi's table strategy. We're going to we're going to roll through this very quickly and get into then a discussion of our own. Uh, We cannot miss the fact that in our text, this meal in verse 29, the banquet or feast that's there happens actually at Levi's initiative. This is Levi's doing. This is Levi's house. He's the one that's, that's throwing this party. It's as if Levi's so amazed that the Savior would actually look at him in his tax booth that's despised outcast and say, come follow me. Invite him in. <laughs> Be associated with me, Levi. Well, Levi's so amazed by the grace of God shown to a sinner like him, that he does what anyone would do in this situation. What's the thing we do when something amazing happens? We think, we've got to throw a party. We've got to throw a party. This is how we feel. This is how we feel, right? When we come to grasp the grace of God for us. How could he love me? We've got to celebrate this. And so that's what Levi does. Now, Levi's table strategy, so to speak, comes into play when we check out his invite list. 
What we realize is that he throws this party and it's not just like this, this intimate evening between him and Jesus. I'm just so stoked. It's actually uh, something that he calls the whole, the whole neighborhood into, so to speak. He calls up everybody he knows. You're all invited to this party. There's something about the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, that we just, we know that it's not just kind of something for us to kind of cherish all on our own and, and, and save it and store it up. We know it's something that's inexhaustible and that belongs to be shared, deserves to be shared. And so Levi just starts inviting everyone he knows to meet Christ and he invites them to the table. And what's awesome is every, everyone he knows, because Levi's been rolling with a, sh- a shady crew to this point, everyone he knows is kind of like coming out of the, the shadows and the darkness. It's the tax collectors and the sinners, the, the, the people that, that no one else wants to associate with. That's where Levi's been, been, been hanging. And so these are the people that are coming. And you see it there if we read verse 29 again. Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others whom the Pharisees in verse 30 identify as sinners reclining at table with them. So where Jesus uses the table to reveal his redemption, we could say that Levi and by extension, you and I can use the table to reinforce that redemption. We use the table to reinforce the redemption of Christ's kingdom. Uh, he uses, we see Levi here, the table, the shared food and fellowship enjoyed in Christ's presence as a way of pressing deeper into Jesus and bringing others deeper into Jesus as a way of, of, of taking part in the Great Commission. Come to the table. Here, here's what's amazing about Levi. I mean, this guy... He could not lead this, this, this ragtag group in a, in a Bible study. He, he hadn't memorized four spiritual laws that he could kind of recite this evangelistic thing in that moment. But what he could do was, was prepare his house, eat some good food, and introduce Jesus to old friends. That's what he could do. And so that's how he participated in the Great Commission. He uses the table. And it's around the table that Christ's redemption is reinforced in his heart and life and in the hearts and lives of those who shared the table with him. So my, what I'm seeing here is that eating and drinking was central to Jesus' missional strategy. Eating and drinking was became central, you could say, to Levi's missional strategy. And, and now we're left to ask the question, is it central in ours? Do we even recognize the table as uh, the profound opportunity it is for the kingdom of God? Or does it seem so simple, so mundane, that we just kind of overlook and neglect it? We're looking for something flashier. We're looking for the church to put on a big program or an event that we can invite the masses to. Sitting across the table from one other person for a couple hours seems very inefficient to reach the masses. And yet this is the strategy that we see. 
So as human beings, we have to use the table. There's no question about it. You and I, we have to eat. We don't eat, we die. (laughs) But the question is, how are we going to use the table? How are we going to use it? What are we going to reinforce in our hearts and lives by the way that we use it? The way I see it, it could go one of two ways here. Either we will use the table to reinforce some aspect of of Christ's redemption, or we will use the table, negatively speaking, to kind of reinforce some aspect of our perversion. We'll kind of reinforce like bad habits and, 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 and fallen tendencies. We can use the table to celebrate God's grace, or we can use the table to undermine his grace. And these are the sorts of things I want to think about with you uh, for the rest of this sermon, really. Um, I'm going to essentially identify four ways that we might use the table negatively to reinforce our, our, our perversion in some way. And I'm going to set those one by one in contrast with the ways we can use the table uh, redemptively as a way to, to reinforce redemption in our hearts and in our lives. Seeing two paths kind of breaking forth here, uh, two table strategies, so to speak. And we're about to have to, 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 to decide and, and prayerfully consider which path, which strategy is ours. Which one are we on? So, first, perversion number one. Um, from the side of, of perversion, we... We must sadly admit that the table can be used to reinforce our sense of boundary, our sense of boundary and division. Uh, We can use the table not to build bridges, but to build walls. Instead of bringing people together, we actually use the table to keep people out. So we can use the table in a way to say, my space is mine. Keep out. You're not welcome here, let me give you biblically where we kind of see this. You might not have realized how, how significant the, the, the table is, um, dinner time, meal time, table fellowship is in the Bible, but it's huge. I want to give you a little bit of that here and how it's used to reinforce boundary and division. We don't have to go very far for this. It's actually right on the surface of our text this morning. The table was used by Pharisees and others in Jesus' day to, um, to kind of show who was in and who was out. If you made it to the table, you're in. If you didn't, you're out. And you got to the table by following all the right rules and eating all the right foods and washing in all the right ways. If you did all the right things, then you're in. If you don't do the right things that our little group determines, you're out. The table was used to reinforce boundary, division, and kind of exalt self. We're in, we're great, you're not. This is precisely why the Pharisees are so worked up in our text. They're in verse 30. If you saw it, they say, why do you, Jesus, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing at the table with them? 
Nobody in their right mind shares the table with, with, with sinners like these guys. Dirty, filthy, unclean, cheap, no good, outcast. Get them out. The table can be used to reinforce boundary. We might think of um, Peter uh, in Antioch as, 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 as Paul describes it for us in, in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Do you remember this? So Peter knows the gospel. Peter knows that, that Jesus in his, in his death and resurrection has broken down boundaries between Jew and Gentile. That he's uniting a new people in himself. That Jesus calls sinners to his table. That everyone alike is sinful and are saved by his grace. And that is it. Peter knows all of this. He's an apostle. And yet, there's a time when Peter, feeling pressure from some of the Jewish believers, decides to pull away from the Gentiles. And we read, he no longer, he stops eating with them. He stops sharing the table with them. And Paul comes and says, man, you are condemned. Your life is not in step with the gospel. The table is not meant to reinforce boundary like this. It's supposed to bring people together. What is an apostle of the grace of God doing Using the table like that. But we can do the same thing in our own way, can we not? Using the table to reinforce boundary and division. Who's in and who's out. I, as I reflected on this, I imagine that many of our most painful memories happen around the dinner table. I mean, think about it. Some of our greatest stuff happens around the table, like the day of your wedding or the day of, you know, whatever, the holidays, families get together. But some of the, some of the most painful stuff in your life, I imagine, has happened around the dinner table. That's when mom walked out on dad and the marriage was over. Never ate together again. As a family. Thanksgiving. You have one of those in your, in your mind? Thanksgiving dinner when this uncle says something to that uncle or this guy says something to that guy and by the end of it you're all offended, you're all inflamed and you walk out saying, family, what family? We will not be coming back. Not sharing the table with these people. We use it to reinforce boundary. I don't know if you remember junior high. It's going on right there even. You remember, I would have all but sold my soul to get into that cool table, right? <laughs> Kids had Lunchables and, and chocolate pudding or whatever. They knew all the right jokes and could say all the right things. The cool table. I want to be there. We use the table to reinforce boundary. Reinforce some aspect of our perversion. Instead of his kingdom and redemption like it's designed to facilitate. 
So let's move there for a moment. Set in distinction from using the table to reinforce boundary, we can use the table to reinforce what I would call here hospitality. An aspect of Christ's redemption. We can use the table to kind of reinforce the hospitality of heaven and our own hearts and minds and in in the hearts and, and lives of those who share the table with us. Instead of saying, my space is mine, stay out, we can use the table to say with all warmth and affection, my space is yours, come in. I want you here, you're welcome here. You belong here. This is how Christ would use the table, to welcome in people, not to keep them out. He's hospitable. Now, To give you some Bible for this, just consider for a moment. This is amazing. As an elder of this church, this is amazing. Consider the fact that of all the things Paul the Apostle could list for qualifications for an elder, okay, when he's thinking about what do I want the leaders to be like, there are so many things I'd want to put on that list and add to it. He comes up with this small list, and one of the main ones he puts down, it's unbelievable, is that the elder, that that man be hospitable. That he be hospitable. Now, in the Greek, perhaps you've heard this before, but the two Greek words behind that, philos and xenos, love, stranger. Hospitality, means love for stranger, love for the outsider, bringing in the one who was estranged and making them friend. And here's what Paul does. It's amazing. By identifying that as what he wants the leaders to be like, bringing in the outsider, welcoming them. He's saying, I want the leaders to be like that because I want the church to be like that. As the leaders go, you would assume, hopefully so goes the church. And I want the church to be like that because Jesus is like that. Because Jesus, I mean, any who come to me, I will not cast you out. That is Christ's philosophy. So we can use the table to communicate this heavenly reality that Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. I was a stranger and he welcomed me. Therefore, I'm going to use my table for hospitality, for the hospitality of heaven to be evident as I welcome you, stranger. It's around the table that strangers become friends. We use the table like that. We invite people into our homes. My space is yours. Now, second, from the side of of perversion again, we have to admit we can use the table to reinforce something else. We can use it to reinforce gluttony. We can use it to reinforce gluttony. We can say in not so many words, my food is mine. My food is mine. It's about appetite. It's about satisfaction. It's about me. For this, you might think of John 6 and those crowds uh, that are following Jesus. He just fed the 5,000. 
And they got bread, physical bread for their bellies. And they're like, that was great. I mean, I'll follow this magician anywhere he goes if it means that I get food for my belly. And Jesus, seeing them all, kind of chasing him down, following him for this reason, he, he, he rebukes them gently but firmly. You are seeking me, he says, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 26. And in the context, what he means is, all you want is my bread. Not the bread of life, me. You just want stuff for your belly and that's it. You don't want Jesus. The table is all about you and it's not about you coming into relationship with me. That's what I'm trying to do here. We might think of the worldly mantra that echoes out from 1 Corinthians 15.32. What if you've heard this before? Where, where Paul says, listen, if there's no such thing as the resurrection, here's what we should be saying. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, life is about satisfying myself. And then it's over. So I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink as much as I can so that I make sure I am full. When the story's done, the table can be used for gluttony, to reinforce gluttony in our lives. Is that what your table's all about? Is it a fight, so to speak, for the last scoop of ice cream or the last slice of pie? It's about me. Or is there another angle that you come at the table from? Is it about not gluttony, but generosity? Generosity. Coming at it from the side of redemption, then, we can use the table to push against gluttony and reinforce the generosity of Christ's kingdom. So not only Christ's hospitality starts to become evident that he welcomes sinners and strangers there, but his generosity that he gives to us from his abundance around his table. And our tables can reinforce that kind of kingdom culture. When we, when we say not my food is mine, but my food is yours. Come in, I want to share my stuff with you, consider Christ's approach to the table as he describes it to his disciples. In Luke 22, verses 25 to 27. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader... As one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table? Or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? In the world. But I am among you as the one who serves. In other words. Christ's table is not like the table of the world. He doesn't use it like the world does. In the world, it's all about being the guy that sits on the velvet throne. 
He's got his legs up, his hands folded over his chest, and he's got his little minions dropping grapes in his mouth or whatever. That's our version of, yes, that's the kind of table I want. It's all about me. Mm. Everyone's serving me. When's dinner ready, dear? He says, no, no, no. That's not how, that's not how the table's used in the kingdom. In the, ta- in, the, in the kingdom, the table says, it's all about you. I want to get to know the people across the table from me. I want to hear how you're doing. I want to share my stuff with you. I want to, I want to get into your life and love you and serve you. Jesus was among us as the one who serves. He used the table in that way and he calls us to do the same. Our mantra, our mantra therefore is not taken from 1 Corinthians 15.32. It's actually taken from 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Context there is, if you're going to eat or drink, do it with love for your brother and your sister. Not in spite of them, but for them. For God's glory and their good. The table can be used to reinforce the generosity of God. Now, perversion number three. We can use the table in yet another way, negatively speaking. Uh, Building off of boundary and gluttony, uh, we can reinforce also around our table the idea of superficiality. Superficiality. Uh, what I mean by this essentially is if boundary says my space is mine, gluttony says my food is mine, superficiality says my heart is mine. I'm not going to share with you the real depths of my life, my heart, where I'm actually at. I'm going to kind of, we're just going to use the table. We're going to eat here, but I'm not doing life with you. I'm present and yet I'm distant. There's this superficiality to the table. And we can reinforce that by the way we we eat with one another. I'll tell you how this might work out, though there are countless ways. One of the things that was convicting me even this past week as I was thinking about all this is the way that I use this at the table, at home. I don't know if you guys have this problem, but I, I mean, sometimes I want to drop kick this thing into the ocean. Because I'm always kind of plugged in. I'm always kind of present and yet distant. I'm somewhere else. I'm cracking off emails or killing brain cells on Facebook. And I'm missing out on incredible opportunities to get into the life, the heart of my little girls. Or my wife as we share a meal. There's just superficiality being reinforced around my table as we, as we kind of live parallel lives, but aren't really intersecting and getting in. You with me on that? You might think of how the table is used here even in Silicon Valley. I, I, I've read certain articles. Ian shot me an article to kind of show me what, what it's like out there in, in you know, kind of the, the world where a lot of you guys are, are living, the, the upstarts and all these things going on, and you're trying to, you know, network. So the table's used as this sort of networking tool, where it's how I climb the ladder. I got to get the right guy around the table, 
And then I'm going to leverage him and that relationship to advance myself. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll schmooze, I'll booze, I'll whine, I'll dine, I'll smile, I'll look good, but I could care less about you. You are a means to an end. Don't you talk to me about your kids and your life. Or I don't care. I want to, at the end of the day, step on your shoulders and get up in the world. We use the table like that in the professional realm. And even in the social realm sometimes. You know who I know? Start name dropping. Hey, I got lunch with him. I got dinner with him. Her. It's great. See what I'm saying? We can use the table for the sort of superficiality instead of intimacy. Intimacy. The third uh, way that we can kind of use the table to reinforce redemption in our hearts and in our lives, uh, I think, is we can use the table to reinforce intimacy. Set against superficiality, intimacy. Instead of saying, uh, my heart is mine, we can use the table to say, my heart is yours. I want to know you, (laughs) really, beneath all the appearances, all the distractions. How are you? I want to know you. This is how Jesus uses the table. He's not busy. He's not somewhere else doing emails. He's not somewhere else. He's not using these guys to get up in the world. These dudes he's hanging out with are going to bring him down. He uses the table to get into the details of these people's lives, to show them he's concerned about the inner workings of their heart and how they're really feeling and doing and what they're really struggling with. That's what the table represents for Jesus. And we can use the table in the same way, to reinforce intimacy. My heart is is yours. We might think here of Jesus' interaction around the table with that sinful woman in Luke 7, 36 through 50. I don't know if you remember that story, but it's amazing. Because Jesus is not interested. He's sitting around the table with these Pharisees and other religious elite or whatever, and he's not interested in playing their games. He's not interested in, in how things look and the superficiality of it all. You want to know what he's interested in? He's interested in the woman who shouldn't even be there who's pouring out her heart through her eyes. (laughs) She's just crying and crying and, and, and wiping his feet with, or washing his feet with her tears. He looks at her, he says, essentially, that's what my table's all about. Not just playing these games where we all look good and we have our right washings and we're all put together and you're trying to use me to get to know somebody else or whatever it is. I want to see that hearts broken, real life stuff going on around the table. So he speaks to her right where she needs it. Your sins are forgiven, he says. That's the conversation he wants to have around the table. Stuff where hearts are shared. Where lives are brought together, a place of intimacy. And so we can ask ourselves, what about us? Are we using the table to reinforce that kind of interaction? Is our table kind of the place where everybody needs to be put together? The place where everybody, uh, you know, needs to be in their right place and everything needs to be in its right place or is our is our table used as just people just know it's a safe place to come and just unload your mess 
Like that's the kind of people I want at my table, the people that are crying and their snot coming down their nose and they're talking about real stuff. And hearts, lives are being shared. That's Christ's kind of table. Is that ours? And so one of the ways I'm, I'm trying currently to, to, to reinforce that kind of stuff at my table at home is just to simply ask my kids and my wife and myself, hey, let's go around. And what would you say is the high and the low of your day? Chloe, Bella, I don't care if you're five or three. This, the low of your day is going to be the same every time. When Bella took my toys. But I, I want to know. I want to know what is going on in your world. What's going on in your heart. How, how can I meet you there? And how can you come and learn what's going on in mine? And how can Jesus come and heal us all? Because that's where Jesus works. And our tables can reinforce that. When they reinforce intimacy. I got to move us forward here. Finally. Got the last kind of step in these two paths. It's kind of the bottom of it all from the side of perversion. And the way we can use our table negatively. We can use our table to reinforce. Bear with me what I would call animality. It's just a fancy word. All it means is animal likeness. Animal likeness. Our tables, when it's all said and done, can be used actually to make us something less than human. More just instinct, animal appetite that can actually degrade, corrupt, lower us into the almost animal world. We can use our tables to say, my God is me. Me. It's about me. Paul speaks of these people in Philippians 3, where he says, he says, listen, there are those out there who walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, he says. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. And their God is their belly. Just fill me, me, me. My belly is my God. You want to know what Paul, probably referring to these very same people, says just a few verses earlier? He says, these guys are like dogs. Dogs. That's Philippians 3, verse 2. Dogs. Just unclean, irrational animals. At the table, just devouring food and devouring one another. Falling into something even less than human. So the table can be used in such a way that it lowers human beings to the place of animal, where, like the prodigal son, we find ourselves longing to be fed with the pods of pigs. Do you remember that? He's looking at the food of animals, going, Man, that looks good. That's how far we can fall in our sin. That's how far away we can get from home. Because the table, while it can reinforce ultimately animality, can move against that in another direction. It can reinforce spirituality. It can actually reinforce something that starts to elevate fallen humanity upwards towards God in the presence of God. Back to Him. It can bring us back to what we were created to be. The table could be this, you guys. 
It could be the place where, where we invite people in. Our kids, our wives, our neighbors, our church, and we together see more of God and are actually elevated. It doesn't have to be the place of gluttony and all these other things. It can be the place where we come to face Jesus Christ. We can use our tables to say, not my God is me, but my God is yours. What I mean by that is not only do I want to share with you my space, my food, my heart. I want to share with you my God. I want to share with you my God. He's what makes my table the way that it is. What you experience here, I hope and pray, is just a little taste of heaven. Are our tables at home? A little taste of the the banquet hall of heaven. Can people come in and not just kind of see, oh wow, they're a great host. But man, they have a great God. We can use our tables as we, as we, as, as we, you know, give ourselves to them in hospitality, generosity, and intimacy to lead them towards Christ, spirituality, to elevate them, to help them see and participate in something heavenly. I don't know if you remember the two on the road to Emmaus. After Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he appears to the two on the road to Emmaus and they don't recognize him. Do you remember how he was revealed to them? I'll tell you. It was around the table. It was in a meal. Let me read it. This is Luke 24, verse 33 and 31. When he, Jesus, was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. It's in the breaking of bread that sometimes Jesus can be seen. It's around the table that people's eyes can be opened. It's, it's, it's as we share a meal that people can see Jesus Christ, that his redemption can be revealed and reinforced in our lives. It's amazing to think about, but it's actually not all that crazy. It's not too big of a stretch. The meal itself, when you think about it, symbolizes all that God really is. He, 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 he gives himself for the nourishment of the world. He, he allows himself to be broken so that we could be blessed. He calls himself the bread of life. He calls himself the fountain of living water. He's just giving and giving and giving for us. So our tables, by natural extension, can actually lead us to him. The physical nature of just a dusty table and eating, you know, food and spilling stuff on our bibs or whatever it is can actually lead us deep into spirituality. Can lead us to the God who has been so generous, gracious, loving, hospitable to us. So, returning to where we began. Do you want to set out on the mission of God? Do you want to be used to advance the kingdom? It's actually not as complicated as we first thought. Do you like to eat? Do you love Jesus? Use your table. Let's go. I'm going to, I think it'd be fitting for me to end with a quote from Tim Chester. Um, Just listen to this. It's on your handout as well if you wanted to read it. 
This is where I'll end. If I pull down books on mission and church planting from my shelves, I can read about contextualization, evangelism, matrices, postmodern apologetics, and cultural hermeneutics. I can look at diagrams that tell me how people can be converted or discover the steps required to plant a church. It all sounds impressive, cutting edge, and sophisticated. But this is how Luke describes Jesus' mission strategy. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's not complicated. One of the great things about mission through meals is that it enfranchises the people of God. We don't have to understand missiological jargon. You probably don't even know what that means. Or hold a crowd with our oratory. We don't even need to be able to cook. We just need to be people who eat and people who love Jesus. I'm not suggesting adding something new. Hear him on this. I'm not suggesting adding something new to your all-too-busy schedule. You already eat three meals a day. That's 21 ready-made opportunities each week to do mission and community. You could meet up with another Christian for breakfast on the way to work, read the Bible together, offer accountability, pray for one another. You could meet up with colleagues at lunchtime. You could invite your neighbors over for a meal. Better still, invite them over with another family from church. That way, you get to do mission and Christian community at the same time. All the while letting your unbelieving neighbors see the way the gospel impacts our relationships as Christians. And you could just keep going with ideas and dreams and ways we could think, man, are we using the table that we're all, we're, we're all using it, but are we using it for his kingdom? Are we eating alone at the office? Are we eating alone every night of the week? Are we, are we tapping into the potential? Are we participating in the Great Commission through eating and drinking with, with one another? So we're all going to use the table. The question is, how will we use it? Let's pray. God, um, I think it's, it's a wonderful Sunday to get to celebrate communion together. Because at the center of, of our table strategy is your own. The fact that you came and invited us to your table. That you showed us hospitality, generosity, intimacy, and led us towards the spirit and the kingdom of God is the reason why we want to do the same. So thank you for your grace. If there are people here, God, who, who are doubting your grace, struggling, don't feel like they belong at your table, would you show them afresh the cross is sufficient for them? And God, for all of us who enjoy a meal with you day after day as you pour out your grace, please use us. Call others to that table as we share bread and fish and wine with neighbor, church member, co-worker, whoever you put in our path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.